And when you're a yoga teacher or you're teaching a class or of any description, you are automatically put on a pedestal just by, by virtue of you being out the front of the class and sharing stuff which you know you know and you're passionate about and people will respond. And yeah, there's, a, there's definitely an expectation. And I think for myself, having been someone who's like, who's, you know, I had the reputation as the guy who'd done all the workshops and been to all the courses, and I certainly have studied an awful lot, um, and had to be humbled by the fact that, you know, I'm still dealing with stuff. You know, I'm still having to face myself and be humbled by my own, I guess my own traumas or my own kind of, particular quirks every day and then how do I in good faith and with integrity go and teach other people around some of the things that I'm sharing which which you know you know I'm saying I'm trauma-informed I'm a hypnotherapist that I create meaningful change in people's lives um, how successfully have I managed to do that in my own life and what perspective do I need to have so that I can be in integrity with um, both sharing the stuff that I do, which is enormously useful for people, and also acknowledging, you know, I'm not enlightened, I'm not uh, perfect, I'm very, very human. And in fact, bringing that humanness to everything that I do is, is kind of key for my own and other people's healing. Welcome to the Going Pro Yoga Podcast. Namaste, my name is Paul Teodo, joined here with Michael Henry, most yoga teacher trainings are becoming watered down and mediocre. So we have created this podcast to help supplement those of you who graduated from a teacher training and don't feel confident going out into the real world. Michael and I are lucky to have been trained by some amazing people. We've gone out into the world ourselves and had success, and we want you to feel confident to protect your students and to build your career with integrity and authenticity. Welcome to our podcast. Okay, welcome back to the Going Pro Yoga Podcast. Today we have a special episode because we're bringing in a guest, um, a guest who happens to also be my neighbor. So Russ or Rusty is sitting across the table from me and he is a trauma-informed hypnotherapist and coach. And for us in the yoga space, um, we need you know, we talk about trauma, we mention it, whether it be with releasing trauma in the body, trauma being stuck in the hips, you know, doing hip openers, possibly getting emotional, um, you know, there'd be releasing some crying, whether this has happened to you yourself, or maybe you've seen it with some of your students in your classes. Um, basically, this is all centered around trauma to some degree. And it's such a vast topic. So we're probably just going to scratch the surface on it today. But I wanted to invite Rusty Nice to meet you all. To come to the podcast and just talk about some of the stuff that he knows and hopefully help to inform us about trauma. Yeah. So welcome yeah. to the podcast. Great to see you guys. Great to see you again, Mike. And uh, it's good to be here. I noticed I'm a little nervous. Yeah, I'm that's like, that's okay. I want to do the right. I want to do a good job. Yeah, whatever comes out is authentically you and that's the best oh, way to go. There so go. there's no worries there. So it's great facilitation right away. Yeah, perfect. So just to allow our audience to get to know you a little bit, maybe you could just introduce yourself. Um, you have an accent. So let's just try to give them a little bit of a bio of who you are, where you come from. Sure. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm an Aussie and uh, spent a lot of time in Melbourne, probably my formative years in Melbourne, um, where I, for a period of time, studied every natural therapy under the sun. Um, I've got a long list of things that I've studied and I won't go into that too much other than to say that I've got a background in hypnotherapy, neurolinguistic programming, kinesiology and some of the Eastern movement arts as well, as well as a heap of body work. And um, for many years I ran a college of natural therapies called the Australian College of Energetic Medicine and I taught all around Australia and then at a certain point... I got to a place where I became very disenchanted with the, I guess, the natural therapies, new age healing kind of whatever you want to call it, industry or the, the sphere in which all these things were happening. And I actually left everything and chucked it away to kind of discover what actually worked. Because um, I found it was really easy to be, it's really easy to be spiritual when you live in the monastery. But what what works cross-culturally in terms of, personal change, personal development, personal healing 
you know, if, for example, you don't believe in chakras or you're not into star signs or you don't particularly resonate with psychology or any of these other kind of lenses that we can view the world through. So then I went on a big journey. I went actually back to corporate and became a geologist, which is part of my other training. A geologist. Is that like a rock? It is. specializes in rocks? I am literally a gold digger. (laughs) Um, And I've worked in West Africa with village chiefs and I've worked with Bedouins in Saudi Arabia and um, all uh, all across the world. And now I'm back in Ubud, living next to you, and I've returned with a whole lot of answers, I guess, to some of the questions I've really been seeking, you know, questions like, why does stuff keep coming up? You know, what is my purpose? How do we have good relationships? What are some of the principles of healing which lie beneath um, the stories or the modalities which lots of people practice? And that's what I'm really interested in. And so becoming trauma-informed has also given me lots and lots of clues around how we can kind of better usher ourselves or steward our souls or our hearts into the world that we want to that we really want to experience that's amazing and i'm sure there a few of those things can resonate with many people listening it's Mm -hmm. like that's kind of what i want to know about it as well exactly yeah and and the question that comes up for me is like are you probably selfishly are doing it for yourself totally first which is kind of the reason why we do most things Mm -hmm. we want to do it for ourselves and then Mm. eventually we're like hey this is fun maybe i can help some people which is part of what you try to do with that information i think yeah 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 totally yeah it's i'm I'm definitely trying to scratch my own itch and i think one of the things that i was looking at with a little bit of suspicion was like okay we we see all these people who run these workshops and run these classes on what is it and you know how to heal all your emotional box or clear all your karma or become the perfect ascended yogi in a weekend what a claim I know. And, um, <laughs> and then you look at the people teaching and, and you go, well, it's, something doesn't add up here. So what is going on? Is it the practice itself that is not, um, not the best way? Or is it the teacher that's not following the principles? Or is there something else going on? Yeah. yeah, I think there's a bit of a disconnect. And we talk about this a little bit sometimes. Um, I mean, not to say that it's just yoga teachers, but obviously we mm. talk specifically about yoga teachers, but just the expectations that they have as a leader mm. in the health and wellness, which is a very vast industry, health and wellness industry. Um, and then, you know, you become a yoga teacher and maybe you do it in 21 days, 24 days, maybe it's online for a few months or whatever it is. The second you graduate, you are all of a sudden now a doctor, you're now a therapist, you're now a healer, you know, you're a movement specialist, all of these things. And, and, Mm. you know, uh, the general public, if they hear that you're a yoga teacher, all of a sudden, all of these expectations are like, oh, you know how to do all these things, Mm. right? You Mm. can help me with all of these things. And part of our job is to tell them that's not your job. Uh-huh. Your your job is to hold space and to provide an experience for your students to mm. feel good. And that's it. Mm. You know, you're not a therapist to like heal their trauma. You're not a therapist to f- heal their physical ailments. You can help them and guide them and support them. Mm. But this expectation that they need to know how to do these things. And some people, they just, they step into it. They're like, I need to know how to do this. So then they'll, you know, at least that's what I see is, is they'll try to fake it and be like, I can help heal you and I can do this. And, you know, mm. this, and they learn a few things and, I'm sure they do provide some value to the people that attend their sessions and whatever like that. But yeah, I don't think there's that same depth, especially hearing the background that you have. Um, oh, hold on. My mic is a little funky. Yeah, something dropped off. But yeah, it's a, uh, when you're a yoga teacher or you're teaching a class or of any description, you are automatically put on a pedestal just by, by virtue of you being at the front of the class and sharing stuff which you know you know and you're passionate about and people will respond and yeah there's a there's definitely an expectation and I think for myself having been someone who's like who's you know I'm had the reputation as the guy who'd done all the workshops and been to all the courses and I certainly have studied an awful lot um, and had to be humbled by the fact that you know, I'm still dealing with stuff, you know, I'm still having to face myself and be humbled by my own, I guess my own traumas or my own kind of particular quirks every day. And then how do I in good faith and with integrity go and teach other people around some of the things that I'm sharing, which, which, you know, you know, I'm saying I'm trauma informed. I'm a hypnotherapist that I create meaningful change in people's lives. Um, 
how successfully have I managed to do that in my own life and what perspective do I need to have so that I can be in integrity with um, both sharing the stuff that I do, which is enormously useful for people and also acknowledging, you know, I'm not enlightened, I'm not uh, perfect, I'm very, very human. And in fact, bringing that humanness to everything that I do is is kind of key for my own and other people's healings. Absolutely, it's relatable. You know, yeah. if you're seen as this guru, non, you know, you have no trauma, then it's, it's, it's like just not realistic. You know what I mean? Like, come on, yeah. it's not really a thing. And, and that's a good point to make is that, uh, exactly that I feel. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. To kind of forgive ourselves or release ourselves from this expectation of perfection. Um, well, at the same time, I think there's a sweet spot, Michael, between, you know, certainly releasing yourself from the, uh, the need to be perfect or, or whatever the ideal is, but also to kind of hold yourself to a high standard and to not be sloppy either, you know, and they're in the middle. It's more and more that I learn about trauma, the more I'm understanding that the sweet spot lies in the middle between, between these extremes. But as we venture through life, we can often ping pong between these extremes until we find a balance in the middle. And, you know, you're going to meet people like that in your journey all along the way. Wow. Yeah. That's profound. So, yeah, I had a, you know, one of my girlfriends was an Ashtanga teacher and, and uh, we all know the reputation. Ashtanga, Ashtanga yogis has of being very diligent and very, you know, kind of. R- and she was actually two, uh, two, I dated two girls who were Ashtanga yogis and they were both, they both had this kind of fixation on achieving enlightenment in this lifetime. And it was just very, I mean, I have no problem with that. It was just very interesting to watch how their personalities and their background kind of melded with this intense desire to be enlightened in this lifetime combined with a very strict practice. Mm. Um, Yeah, as opposed to like the Kundalini yogis who are like very much, you know, very much about the emotions and processing stuff and and working through, because I think some of uh, some of the protocols there are specifically to deal with things like depression or increasing libido, or they have like kind of a, a therapeutic aspect to the to the kriyas, etc. And mm. so it's just it was so interesting for me to observe what kind of yoga attracted what kind of yoga teachers, mm. uh, etc. And uh, yeah, that's interesting you say that because when I when I hear you say the difference between those two, I hear very much. Um, more masculine energy, more feminine energy, um, and not to be, you know, not a gender thing, just more that drive, that push, that mm. moving towards the goal, that uh, determination, the discipline, all these things, which to me are qualities of masculinity. Mm. And then more of that surrender feeling into kind of exploration is more that feminine quality from the Kundalini side. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I would say in the, in these, in these two women or the three women, that I was looking at, and it's very much so. You know, the two Ashtangas were had a very strong connection to their masculine, and the my friend who was doing Kundalini, very very feminine woman, and so it's just interesting. I was living with a German girl who was very very particular about everything, and of course she was studying Iyengar and becoming an Iyengar teacher, and um, so it's just it's just curious to see how our personalities. Uh, and our, and what constitutes our personalities also filters into the practices that suit us or that we're 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 best suited for. Right, we're drawn to exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the question comes up is like, what do we actually need? Do we need more of the same, or do we need a little bit of the opposite to try to balance out? Very good question. The I yin think, and the yang, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think therein lies the getting of wisdom. You know, it's like my friend who's been doing ashtanga, who I dated, is still doing ashtanga. I think she's let go of the veganism and and uh, the desire to become enlightened, but she's still very, she's very very dedicated and very masculine. Whereas I think the kundalini yoga teacher is. I don't know. I think she's doing other things. She's making things out of felt and found objects. And, and <laughs> how wonderful is that too? Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. Cool. Mm. Oh, great. Okay. Well, that was a great little introduction. I think we went into a few little different interesting <laughs> things tangents, there. So yeah. let's tra- let's bring it back to trauma a little bit more specifically. Ah, trauma. And so much fun. Yeah. Maybe just, um, you know, what does trauma mean to you? Let's, let's start with something. Right. Like question. Trauma. Well, one of the things about learning about trauma is it's kind of traumatic. So I'm trying to put... You can't use the word in the definition. (laughs) (laughs) Trauma, I think trauma means to me anything... Well, I've actually got a working definition of it, uh, which I use in my classes. So trauma is any automatic behavior, which is 
unresourceful. So it doesn't help you get what you want. It reduces connection either to yourself or to another person. Um, and it reduces your creativity in the moment so that you're reacting rather than responding. And then I draw a distinction between capital T trauma and lowercase uh, t trauma. And so in the past, um, trauma used to refer to things like, you know, getting your arms blown off, something happening in a war. Um, you like know, a physical trauma. That's right. Hitting yeah. your head, traumatic brain injury. Yes. You know, something like this. Yeah. Something kind of catastrophic and, and very life altering. And, and fair enough. That's, it's definitely traumatic. And nowadays, as we learn more and more about trauma and how things are stored in the nervous system, um, it's becoming more and more clear that kind of everyone has trauma because as we're growing up, as our nervous systems are developing, there's, there's pieces that we miss or there's experiences either from our parents or just from life that impact us in a negative way and get retained in the nervous system as a coping mechanism. And these things come out, and this is what I would call uh, lower lowercase t trauma or trauma expressions, come out in things like overthinking or overexplaining or people pleasing or workaholism or, you know, just kind of scrolling on your phone when you know you've got a thousand better things to do. These are like trauma expressions and they're a consequence of uh, a feeling or a sensation in the body which is uncomfortable and that we would rather avoid or we've created um, pathways to avoid that feeling uh, and hence it comes out as these other behaviors which mm. you know we know it's like it's the classic example of a trauma is you, you say to yourself I'm going to do this particular thing like I'm not going to eat this food today or I'm not going to text that person or I'm I'm going to go for a run and we, we might even proclaim that to other people and then we do something completely different. And this gap between what we say and what we do, there's, uh, that can also be classed as a trauma. Hmm. Now, it's not the event, the original event that happened. That is traumatic. Trauma is the resulting set of behaviors that, re you know, that get retained in the nervous system as a result of that traumatic event. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of yeah, interesting. for you. Okay, so um, I've heard this before, this mm. big T, little T trauma. Um, I call it baby T trauma. Right, yep. Right, and then big T trauma. Um, so I hear you explaining a lot of the baby T trauma, and I'll just reiterate it just to make sure I understand it. And for the audience, is that it's like these small moments of expression or small moments of where we find ways to distract ourselves or to uh, manage an uncomfortable feeling that we, like you said, we're trying to avoid, uh, which we all do on a regular basis. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's really interesting. So then what would be the, the big T? Like, let's talk the, well, about the big T. Is that like the initial source of it? Or well, is it a completely different yeah, big, type of trauma? Uh, big T trauma is kind of like a big traumatic event. So, and, and big T trauma can also be something like, you know, you're grappling with cancer or an autoimmune disease or something which is kind of like front and center in your entire life. Hmm. And, and, you know, it's kind of inescapable. And it can be also like, um, you know, the, the classic dark night of the soul, which in my courses I explain as a, a conjunction of events. So a dark night of the soul can be like you're grappling with multiple, multiple things across different contexts so you might have lost your job you might have broken up with somebody you might have to be moving house you might have a health condition you might be having to live with your parents um, who you don't get on with and there's all sorts of dynamics in there that you know we could gr group all of those together as a big t trauma because everywhere you look shit is getting fucked up mm. and it's like where do i start you're in a constant state of of stress and overwhelm and over time we know that this burns out the body and there's no clear kind of end in sight there's no clear pathway out and over time yeah this has really um hmm. deleterious effects so we could call that a big t trauma or you know something like you know getting your arms blown off or having a you know, right a really so it could accident. be either or so it could either be a, a significant event that occurred or it could be just trauma that's built up over time that's 
kind of just a reoccurring environment or state or thing that you're in and it just that's right. it may start as like not so traumatic but because the exposure is so consistently there that it just turns into a big t basically yeah that's right and again the trauma is the the response right so it's like this continuing <clears throat> being in a continuous state of fight or flight which is the is the is the trauma and then how do we you know then the question becomes how do we shift out of that right right the consequences of of those events or those things that's right interesting yeah and so you know from a from a yoga teaching point of view you know i think yoga is one of those those fabulous tools that people can use to self to help regulate their nervous system Mm -hmm. you know while they're in a yoga class First of all, someone else, you know, if you're the yoga teacher, you're telling them what to do, which can be an enormous relief for someone who is just overwhelmed by life. Right. It's like, thank goodness, someone else can tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And obviously with the, the combination of the movements, the breathing, the movement of energy, and the, the, the co-regulation with the teacher, because your nervous system is extremely important. I'll talk about co-regulation in a bit. Um, but you as the yoga teacher in the presence and the space you hold allows your students' nervous systems to downregulate, which just gives them some relief from the sense of overwhelm or the incoming and um, quietens down the amygdala, you know, tones the vagus nerve, does all these amazing things on the inside. But basically people feel better and feel more resilient and are able to kind of then deal with what's happening in their life from a much more creative point of view. Um, it's just one of the many benefits of yoga for helping people who are going through and experiencing trauma, whether it's a big T or a baby T. Right. Uh, you said a lot of interesting things there, especially at the beginning. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me about ultimately, uh, it's kind of reiterated what I said before about it's just about holding space and allowing people to experience what they need to experience and you know as much as we want to heal people and and be therapists and provide the service and all this stuff at the end of the day for us as teachers we can just be there for them Mm -hmm. it's a very natural kind of human desire to want to help and to want to relieve somebody of their suffering right um and that's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful beautiful thing and i've spent a lot of my life kind of developing ever more refined tools to do that and i think what you're saying is also very true because in the work that's emerging through me um, which i call quantum hypnotherapy it's a very refined um, very clear way of doing exactly that holding space and allowing what and as you do that and as you get really good at doing that the person's natural intelligence and their natural goodness starts to reveal itself Mm. and it's an amazing thing to watch and sometimes it almost feels like i'm doing nothing but i'm also doing everything and as a yoga teacher (coughs) the best thing you can do is to actually continue your journey into your own stuff into your own trauma into your own practice because the more you connect with your nervous system and are able to down regulate it and hold a beautiful space for everything that arises both within you and within the class we go into resonance you know uh, biomorphological resonance and that's very calming and healing for another person's nervous system Hmm. that's really interesting so it's almost like well, I shouldn't say you're doing less, but kind of. It's kind of like you're doing less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th- I think that doing less feels like less mental thinking. That's, mm-hmm. why, it, that's why it feels very easy. Right. Um, but at the same time, you are, because there's less mental activity, um, we get in touch. We've all had the experience of when we're teaching, you know, we get an insight or we get a, a, an impulse or something kind of channels through us. It's like, oh, I'm going to shift the class in this direction or I feel like I should say this particular thing to this particular person. Mm-hmm. It's, a very, it's, a, it's a very common experience and a very useful experience for um, showing you that you're in resonance and you're doing good just by doing that thing which feels really easy mm. and intuitive.
So something we talked about before we hit the record button, and I think this might be connected to what we're just saying now, is this ability to be able to be present. And mm. as a yoga teacher, it's really important to be present for mm. our students to be able to see and or guide them in the ways that they need. Um, and just to give a little bit of context to that, I mean, if we set up a sequence or whatever we want to do, and we have this whole plan of what we want to do, mm-hmm. we show up to class and the people that show up to class, maybe it's not suitable for them. Right. Now, all of a sudden, we got to throw an audible. We got to mix it up a little bit. We might have to change things. Or if you're blind and you're not present, you might just follow through with your original plan and carry out the class. And then, you know, people's experiences won't necessarily be catered in the way that they need to be. So being present as a teacher is really helpful for them, for for the students to be able to feel seen and heard and, you know, change things, modify things. If in just in the the tangible context of trying to do poses or things that are uh, more challenging than the people that are actually in the class, then, you know, you'd have to downgrade or uh, modify or maybe change it up a little bit. Um, so it's really important to be present for us as yoga teachers. But then we did speak about the challenge of being present in general. So let's maybe talk about that a little bit more. Totally, totally. So yeah, being present is one of is kind of like the holy grail, which gets uh, bandied about in a lot of spiritual teachings and yoga. And it is a good teaching for sure. You do want to be present. That said, if you're working with if you're working with trauma or if you just want to be trauma informed, it's good to know that a lot of trauma and again, trauma is this an automatic behavior which is unresourceful or doesn't help us get what it wants, what we want, but it's an automatic behavior. And so trauma can arise when uncomfortable feelings come up in the body and then we distract ourselves that's a coping mechanism so that we don't get overwhelmed by whatever story or sensation is arising. So then the invitation to be present to this uncomfortable feeling can actually be the last thing that a person wants to do. Um, Or they may be so used to, I was just talking with a client this morning, they may be so used to distracting themselves that they don't even know what is going on underneath. Mm. And so there's two things I think that you can offer as a yoga teacher is one is the invitation to be exactly where you are. So be, you know, you can, instead of saying be present, because some people may not even have the understanding of what that means. Right. Um, or the ability to do it because of the state that they may be in. Or the ability. So that just, you know, goes right over their head. Be present. They're like, yeah, I don't even know how to do that. What does it, that even mean to me? Exactly. Well, there's kind of like, uh, so there's two things there. If, if a person knows what it's like to be present, let's say they've done some yoga, they're going through a really hard time, and now they know that they are distracting themselves or in a trauma loop, that can be really confronting. I mean, certainly for someone like me, uh, I'll use myself as an example. I've done lots of meditation, lots of Tai Chi, lots of yoga. I know when I'm present and I know when I'm distracted or agitated, etc. And when someone tells me be present, the disparity between what I know as being present versus the agitated state I'm in at the moment only kind of fuels my agitation. It gets really annoying, okay? Because I've got this concept of, oh, I have to do being present right, okay? So that's, that's a, an example of when someone knows what it's like to be present. If they don't, then as I was talking with a friend the other day, she said, you know, I've got no idea what it means when people say love yourself. Okay. Mm. This is a symptom of neglect. It's a, um, like when we were growing up, there were certain things that we didn't get as a, as a growing nervous system. And so if you don't have an experience of being present, that instruction won't mean anything either. Right. And so how, what do we do? As yoga instructors, we can, we can offer this beautiful invitation to be present as much as you can you know, this little tagline as much as you can or in whatever way is available to you. Hmm. Okay. And this gives a lot of permission again for me, for example, to be present in what I think I should be doing or to be just present with whatever is available, however much I can. Hmm. Um, And for someone, if you have people who are beginners who might not even know what presence is, say you're teaching a bunch of autistic kids or people in prison or uh, marginalized people who may not have had a really good experience of this, 
you can do some kind of yoga nidra kind of thing of like just talk them through noticing sensations in the body because that's very tangible being present is kind of like a concept you know i don't fucking know what being present is but i do know that i can feel which foot is on the floor i do know that i can feel my chest expanding i do know that i can you know see which hand is higher than the other yeah these are these are great instructions yeah. um, which everyone can can basically win at you mm-hmm. know? and mm-hmm. um yeah, changing it from a concept to something very tangible is going to help. Yeah, guiding, guiding the, the idea of presence by giving um, them something to change their attention or change their mm-hmm. focus on. Perfect. So oftentimes breath is a big one for yoga. You know, at the beginning of class, generally speaking, it's really important to establish breath, bring mm-hmm. awareness to breath to probably allow people to, you know, become more present. You know, but saying, yeah, let's, let's start to, you know, be present in the room, you know, that might not work, but say, Hey, let's start to pay attention to our breath. Let's take a big inhale together. Perfect. Yes. Yes. And then exhale. And that feels really good. And they don't know why it feels good. They don't know if they're present, but you know what? It's getting them to where they, you know, might be helpful for them. Totally, totally, totally. And and there was a, one of our, uh, we're in a training right now, but, um, one of the women that I was chatting with. She said that she was working at a, a gym. She was teaching a class there. And, it, you know, the gym culture is a little bit more intense and, you know, presence mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the primary goal. It's usually like, let's go and let's get, you know, buff and tough and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And she said that she was leading a class and she's like, generally speaking, she was catering to the audience. What they wanted, you know, was a little bit more intense, masculine energy and all that stuff. But she said she found a moment to encourage three deep breaths. And mm-hmm. she said it was the most magical thing in the world because it was like they were discovering breath for the first time. She said Beautiful. the way they, they were exhaling was just like, you know, moaning and groaning, just like, oh, like just feels so good. Uh-huh. Right. And it, it wasn't about like being present in that. It was just like, hey, pay attention to your breath. Let's do it together for three, you know, 15 seconds, literally just like take, take a deep breath. Exactly. Exactly. That's brilliant. And that's yeah, that's catering to your audience. I mean, that's that's skillful means from the from the buddhist teachings which is like can you adjust uh, as a yoga teacher you know are you flexible enough in your teachings to adjust your instructions to the audience and you know if you're with a group of advanced yogis by all means you know you know activate the crown chakra and become deeply present all the way through you know what is it the ida and sushumna channels the pingala i think anyway you know what i mean versus you know great we've got a group of prison inmates that we're going to teach yoga to can you breathe in so deeply you can push your belly out you know and then let that go naturally and that is your ability to be present with the needs of your your students and then if you can't be present that's a good invitation for you to to lean into that stretch to kind of follow your the your own teachings in yoga and kind of lean into your edge and okay where do i need to expand knowing that i can be perfectly i'm perfectly uh welcome to be exactly where i am you yeah. know and we give ourselves the same permission as we give our students to be perfect exactly as you are and you don't need to change or to be any different yeah i think that's such a great thing to say in a mm. class or mm-hmm. just in general exactly it's, it is. it's, so, it's just so <laughs> yes, it's so totally. relieving yes to yep. not have to do yep for a change and yep. for someone to just be like you know whatever's going on in your brain whatever you're feeling in this moment mm-hmm. you know that's all okay it's mm. totally fine yeah. you know what i mean yeah and just giving people permission even they don't even though they don't need permission but hearing it, hearing it is just totally. so healing in itself to just be like, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And then if we, if we go a little bit further into the mental aspect of trauma, you know, we give this permission. You're, you're perfect as you are. There's no need to change or to be any different. Something, and there's another phrase that my, my teacher said, you're, you're perfect as you are, including your desire to change. And this also gives permission to all the parts of us that are frustrated with what we're feeling now. It's like those parts can also explicitly be made welcome. You know, you're, you're perfect as you are, including the parts of you that want to be different. Okay. And this is how we, this is kind of the yoga of 
of the mind in terms of creating that welcoming, trauma-informed space for everything that's going on. Wow. Um, that's really great. Yeah. <clears throat> Keep having to clear my throat. I'm going to get some water here. Um, okay, cool. So where should we go from here? <laughs> I mean, I got so many here? questions and, yeah, and yeah. there's so many things to think about. I think we should just have a little bit of a reprieve uh-huh. for the brain yeah. Uh, yeah. for our audience to just be like, oh, okay, you know, maybe, maybe we'll make a, a little break. Breath, just metabolize that in your body. Let it all sink into your unconscious. There's no need to understand. Just let that metabolize all by itself. You have permission. You have permission. Yeah. <laughs> or if you want, you can go and rewind and exactly. hear, hear it over again. <laughs> totally. If it didn't quite resonate the first time. Yeah, lots of interesting things to think about, even for myself just sitting across the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we could go for a while. Yeah, there's there's lots. There's okay. lots here. And it's super it's super uh it's super useful for you to become a really uh impactful teacher because we you know, the reality is that People will look at you as a teacher. They will look to you for guidance and they are seeking answers. And if you can offer them perspectives, you don't have to give them answers, but this is how I frame a lot of my teaching now is like, these are just some perspectives which I've found really useful and have answered a lot of questions which I've grappled with for the last, you know, literally two decades. Mm. And um, you can offer those for sure. Wow, that's great. Okay, cool. So... Let's change gears for a second. Great. Let's just give a little bit of a break uh, with that. And I, I'm, I'm curious because Byron uh, was here yesterday and he asked you a question, which I thought was such a great uh, question. And I want to ask you again. Okay. So, you know, we're talking a lot about trauma and we're not so much about hypnotherapy, but that is within your, mm-hmm. in your skill set. And uh, Byron asked the question, I think it was, what, what's the number one thing that gets in the way from someone being able to benefit from hypnotherapy? Uh-huh. Yeah. What is it? So it's a good question. So I can't remember what I answered now, but I think it was along the lines of there was two, there was two answers to that question. One is the amount of safety that you feel with the practitioner. So if you feel, because there's, there's this misconception that hypnotherapy is about basically me saying some words, taking over your brain and making you do things that you don't want to do. Um, and so part of my job is to kind of explain, look, hypnotherapy is you're always in control. Okay. And from that place, and also, and I'm going to guide you into a trance and trance is a very natural state. So we've all had the experience of hopping in a car, turning on the music, and then just stepping out of the car at the, at our destination without any idea how we got there. Mm -hmm. Possibly we were talking to a friend on the phone and doing all sorts of things. You're in a driving trance. So you're, you're doing something very automatically. And as long as the person, let me come, let me jump back a bit. So hypnotherapy is a way of kind of entering into that trance with a bit more awareness. Mm. And as you're doing that, just like you can put your, Uh, foot on the brakes or turn the steering wheel at any time if it's appropriate you can do that when you're in a trance with a practitioner Mm. and then the more safety that is built the more enjoyable the ride is going to be quite frankly right because we can go all sorts of places once you understand that this is the car that you've got to drive and actually it's capable of so many more things uh, than you ever thought possible and i'm literally just sitting in the passenger seat going do you know it's got an accelerator there? Do you know it's got turbo booster there? Do you know that it's got these extra safety mechanisms here? Hmm. And suddenly you're discovering a whole new way of, of getting yourself from A to B. Hmm. So w- when that safety is there, you can do amazing things. Um, and the second thing I think I said was, what would, so the question was, what would prevent someone from going into tra- uh, benefiting from a hypnotherapy yeah. session? Yep. There's also the skill of the practitioner because in allowing and giving that deep, deep permission to the person who's receiving or, or engaging in hypnotherapy. So, because often when we, uh, a lot of trauma is connected to shadow work and shadow work is basically your ability to face things that you wouldn't really admit in polite company and you probably don't even want to admit to yourself. And then there are all there are ways and techniques and uh, processes whereby 
you can assist somebody in connecting to these parts which they don't even want to admit to themselves but have enormous influence on our physiology on the way we do things on our relationships etc it's our shadow side basically Mm -hmm. and the more safety you can create around someone connecting with embracing and loving their shadow the more um, effective that session is going to be because uh, the shadow side has a lot of control over our lives. It governs a lot of our unconscious decisions. The more we can bring love to that, our lives change profoundly and deeply. Mm-hmm. So, Wow. That makes me think, um, not to say that you know we have this ability as teachers to, to participate in this hypnotherapy type of thing, because that's obviously not true. There's obviously a lot of intricate, like you said, skills and mm. and uh, experience and stuff like that. But when you were talking about like the the safety or the feelings um, secure um, is a, is almost a, a prerequisite in order to move into the next stage of using the skill as a hypnotherapist mm. to help guide people's experiences in this trance to help them discover inwardly for themselves what they need to discover. Mm. So when I hear it myself saying it like that, uh-huh. I'm thinking, okay, that's not too far off from from what we do for yoga teachers is we exactly. we create space, we hold space, we try to make people feel safe and secure in a container, in a studio, in a room, whatever it is, mm-hmm. on Zoom <laughs> yes, sometimes, right. a lot of times actually. Yeah. Um, and then we just ultimately hold the space and guide their experience very, very generally, like at all. It's also ultimately just allowing them to just get go inward and mm-hmm. allowing them to self-explore. Yep. without having the guide of someone like you, for example. Mm. So it's like a very micro ability to be able to not necessarily achieve the right, the same thing, but it, it's, it's moving in the similar direction. hundred percent. Yeah. It's a, it's a transferable meta skill. Yeah. So I would say that ability to hold space, obviously, you know, in, in a yoga class, it's not appropriate to be doing things like shadow work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but the creation of safety is the first port of call. And one of the, the biggest uh, things for deep transformation and so this also is to some degree a measure of your comfort with your own shadow side and your own ability to hold all of these parts inside you uh with loving what i'd call loving awareness okay Mm. whether you judge them as good or bad you can still hold them with loving awareness and this is the transmission this is the biological resonance this is the mirror neurons crawl what you will across different contexts mm-hmm. it's this it's the depth of the space that you're holding is proportional to the amount of permission and love you can give yourself surrounding all of these aspects of yourself mm-hmm. and that i think over and above any of your technical abilities uh, is what's going to impact, you know, you will have, we've all had the experience of like students coming up to us and going, oh my God, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And you thinking, well, I only did a couple of postures and then we lay down and breathed. But your your presence and your self-work is reflecting out and rippling out into the class that you're teaching. Mm. No, that's powerful. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and we can all cultivate that kind of depth. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Okay, great. Well, we're almost about 45 minutes. We usually keep these these guest episodes to about 45 minutes. Right I kind of want to keep going, yeah. <laughs> but I'm thinking maybe we'll maybe we'll wrap this up and have an opportunity possibly in the future to bring you back. Yeah, I feel like we could go deeper and deeper and talk about more uh, things. And I'm sure there's going to be some questions that come up from this episode, yeah. um, some curiosity things. So I have one more question just because it popped into my head and then we'll mm-hmm. do a few concluding questions so people can connect with you and, and learn from mm-hmm. you. From moon, learn more from you. I know you have some videos and stuff that you do online that Christina is telling me about. Yes. So, yeah, um, so before we get into that, <clears throat> I just have a quick question about um, particularly like, like disease and stuff in the body. I don't know if you're going to have the answer to this question, but I'm just thinking there's someone in, in a training that we're participating in who approached me um, and asked about fibromyalgia, which fibromyalgia is, is basically a, a condition where you just feel pain. Your nervous mm. system is ultimately overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And trauma, as far as I understand, is uh, an, an, an element of your, your nervous system being overwhelmed and unable to know how to handle it or want to be able to handle it or manage it. Mm. So I'm curious to know if you have any thoughts and maybe we can add a little bit just related to you know physical ailments in the body and how trauma right. can ultimately um, cause them or make them grow or turn sure. into something like that. Cause in my brain, when she asked me for advice as a physiotherapist, I was like, 
Yeah. I was like, that's yeah. a tough one, right? There's, yeah. It's not really like, hey, go do these exercises and your, <laughs> your right. fibro would go so, away. I was thinking, I was like, this might be an emotional, possibly a nutritional thing. There's stuff, stuff in your body that needs to get out. Yeah. That's pretty much what I told her. And I was like, I'm not sure much more than that. So mm-hmm. emotionally, traumatically, yeah, let's, what would you sure. say to, to that sure. conversation? Uh, well, yeah, first of all, I think it's really good to know uh, to stay in your lane and to know where you can offer advice and where you can say, look, I don't know, but maybe go and check out these avenues, which is also really valid. Mm-hmm. And so certainly, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm, this is not medical advice. I can offer some perspectives on the emotional aspect and the, tra- and the, and the result of trauma, which is, yeah, over time, if you, if you are stuck in a pattern of, like if you had a very disruptive childhood or you had some very disruptive events, you can be stuck in a state of fight or flight or hypervigilance, which continually, continually floods the, the body with cortisol, which causes inflammation. And then because it's not sustainable, you will also crash and burn. And this high, you know, this state of high arousal versus, you know, collapse is really, um, yeah, it's, it's very deleterious to the body. And so all sorts of things can result like fibromyalgia, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. In terms of addressing the emotional aspect, what I found really useful is this, this sense of co-regulation, mm. which again is directly, it's a skill that you're cultivating as a yoga teacher, which is as I am. And so if I'm, I'm doing hypnotherapy or I'm teaching with someone who has fibromyalgia, one of the most important things is that I am, I am in regulation my nervous system is regulated i'm not upset i'm welcoming her as someone with fibro um and i'm able to kind of just welcome her as she is and then from a if if she came to see me for hypnotherapy for example we would extend that welcome and that deep permission and that loving awareness to the emotions that are arising okay so one of the things about trauma is we don't have to go scratching around in our childhood to find it it's usually right here with us in the present. Yeah. Like when I said, Oh, I'm a bit nervous about this interview. That's a little trauma expression coming up. Mm. Cause I know you're a wonderful guy. There's no reason to be nervous, but there's something coming up and this thing wants to be met. Okay. And here's a little red flag for you around trauma. If you ever hear someone say, I I just want to get rid of this thing or release this block or, you know, life would be better if I could get rid of it so I could fulfill my full potential, right? It's kind of a trope these days. That is the desire to get rid of something is keeping you in a trauma loop. Mm. And the way out is to be in co-regulation with somebody else so that you can, you know, you can stay downregulated. And then we gently, sweetly, lovingly meet whatever is arising in that moment and we can welcome that intelligence. Mm, let it release. And I'll, I'll leave you with a very quick analogy. Trauma, like, and trauma can occur as like negative thoughts, the inner critic, uncomfortable feelings, etc. These are younger parts of ourselves that are still repeating the same pattern. And they're very much like a baby. So what happens when we see a baby or we hear a baby's cry? It gets our attention. And we go to the baby, but we don't go to the baby bad baby, wrong baby, get out of here kind of thing. We hold the baby and we listen to it and we go, is this a hungry cry? Is this a sleepy cry? Is this a lonely cry? We try and work out what it's saying. And as we're holding it, it feels safe and welcomed. And then over time, this baby will grow up into a beautiful human being with all of its gifts, its own gifts and intelligence. And so these uncomfortable feelings in our body, these inner critic thoughts, these unwelcome thoughts are like a baby crying. They know that they can get our attention. And then our job is to not push them away, but to hold them, to welcome them, and then to listen for the intelligence behind that. And when we do, the inner child grows up and and becomes part of us in an adult way and you will feel the liberation in your nervous system as you as you do this kind of healing and so that's kind of the basis of the work that i do on the emotional level with people wow Mm. 
I gotta admit, I think I was in a listening trance. Yeah, you were. You you like had me. I was just like I couldn't I couldn't look away. I was just like wow, I'm so fascinated with every single word you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so thank you for concluding on that. I thought yeah, that's yeah. It's a really blowing a, me a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Well, um, thank you so much for for joining us. Um, I'm sure there's people that are wondering like, shoot, this guy's cool. Like, how do I connect with him? How do I reach out with him? Maybe even like work with him? Like, because I know that you do this virtually. Obviously, that's the world we live in. So, what's the best way for people to find you? I'm on Instagram at the moment at Hypno with Russ. So at Hypno H Y P N O dot with dot R U Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Great, easy click. I have a couple of, I do a couple of free sessions a week. So if you're lucky, you'll find a link to my calendar in there. Check out all the stuff that I'm writing. I'm also on Facebook, same thing, Hypno with Russ. And um, by all means, I love to chat. Drop me a message, reach out, connect. And um, yeah, really wonderful opportunity to be here with you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. I can speak for everyone. I'm sure Byron, myself, Paul, and any of the listeners um, had so much to offer. And um, yeah, I'm going to take a lot of what you said and let that digest and integrate a little bit and then uh yeah i'd love to have you on again but we'll see how that goes with uh, traveling and the world so be a pleasure anytime (laughs) great all right thank you so much for listening everyone and as always if you have any questions you know you can reach out to russ or you can always reach out to us not really trying to rhyme there but that kind of worked out really well uh on instagram or on email um you can send us a voice note as always so take care i hope you have a beautiful day and we'll speak to you next week All right, listen up, everyone. Paul, Byron, and myself have been working so hard on putting together a platform dedicated specifically to yoga teachers. And the good news is it's almost ready for you. Soon, this platform is going to be publicly released. But we want to actually make a special offer to those who have been dedicated to following us since the beginning. So that's a lot of you listeners right now. We want to make a special offer for you. And if you are interested in participating in being one of the founding members of this Going Pro platform, then you're going to have an opportunity to do so. All you need to do is just go into any of the description of any episode and you'll be able to sign up to the wait list for this Going Pro platform so that you can take advantage of this offer. We hope to see you there.